Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What is the one brand you remember making an impact on you as a young boy growing up in Mexico City? For any Mexican listening to this, I have to apologize. It's an American brand called Huidis from General Mills. And you know why? Huidis. You know why? It's related to Nike. <laughs> in a way, because they had Michael Jordan in the cover of the yeah. box. And I was a huge fan of Michael Jordan growing up because his leadership, his talent, everything he did, everything he touched just became perfect. For me, he was the guy to look up to. And when I saw him on that box, I was always telling my mom, when you see that box in the supermarket, that's the only brand and the only cereal I want to eat because that's the guy I want to be when I grow up. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, But the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Jose Gorbea, who goes by the nickname Pepe. Pepe is the global head of brands and sustainability innovation for HP Inc., the first significant Silicon Valley company with a wide portfolio of printers, PCs, mobile devices, solutions, and services. HP's revenue for the most recent fiscal year was about $65 billion, up about 5% versus a year ago. Pepe is based in Barcelona, and I first met him this past summer when he participated in the CMO Accelerator Program at the Cannes International Festival of Creativity. I was immediately impressed by his passion, creativity, and sense of purpose, which you will witness in this podcast session. Pepe grew up in Mexico City. He's a proud Mexican, and he spent about the first 20 years of his career with famous global food companies, Nestle and Kraft Heinz, to name a few. Pepe moved to HP about five years ago and has been in his current role two years. This is my conversation with a guy who takes inspiration from this Picasso quote, learn the rules like a pro, so you can break them like an artist. Here's Pepe. Welcome to the CMO Podcast, Pepe. Now, I know Pepe is a common nickname for your formal name, Jose, but I want to hear the story and when you became Pepe, not Jose. It starts with the Spanish conquering Mexico and the rest of Latin America hundreds of years (laughs) ago. Actually, the story is very funny because they came in and when they started colonizing, you know, the local tribes living in many countries from Mexico down south, they brought, you know, Catholics, Christians with them. And when they were teaching them religion, they saw the, the cross of Jesus Christ and they learned about the righteous father of Jesus Christ, which is Jose, my name. Joseph. Mm -hmm. And they abbreviated with an acronym P dot P dot, which phonetically, when you say it in Spanish, sounds Pepe. So the connection from Pepe to Joseph, the righteous father of Jesus Christ, was made since then. And through time, people started calling in Spanish speaking countries, Jose's Pepe's. So the easy way is Charles and Chuck, William and Bill in English. I like to explain this, especially to your English speaking audience. So you've been Pepe since you were an infant. 
basically. If you want to get mad at me and really call me out, say Jose. If you want to be my friend and have a nice conversation, say Pepe. Okay, so I'll leave that to your parents, right? They can exactly. call you Jose. My mom would say that. <laughs> yeah, you will be Pepe to me. I like that. <laughs> so we are, of course, not strangers to each other. We met this past summer at the Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity, where you participated in our CMO Accelerator. And for our listeners, that's a two-day program for rising CMOs and other senior leaders. And you did something, Pepe, in that class that was simply one of the most remarkable experiences I have ever had at Cannes and really anywhere for that matter. So can you share with our listeners what you and your colleagues from HP did in that class in Cannes that was so remarkable, so emotional, so profound. We had difficulty moving on in that class I after remember. that experience that you brought into the room. So please tell us about that. It gives me goosebumps just to hear you say that, Jim, because to be honest, you've been doing this for quite some time. And to hear that after 10 years, it's quite a compliment. And uh, it goes to show that if you really work with passion and you listen to people around you trying to help, you can make a big difference in this world. Uh, to be honest, a big motivator for me has always been trying to help people. That, that's the way I was born and raised in Mexico City with my mom and my dad. And they were always teaching me how to be a good citizen, a good person, and most importantly, have a good heart. So when I worked at HP and I saw the opportunity to basically give a voice to creatives from the Ukraine who have been displaced by the war, I said the best thing that we can give these people is not food, is not money, it's a voice. And by learning what we can do at the CMO Accelerator with you and your group, I said, we have a bunch of decision makers in this room all at once paying attention. Let's get focus their attention on doing the right thing and just getting them exposed in an engaging way to this talent that is available and ready to take a job and live a second life, hopefully better than the one that they left back home. So I just rally the troops. Basically, we work with our agency partners, with my team, and we just brainstormed on how can we unlock this experience in a way that people want to help. And the secret is very simple, you know, and this is a word that probably I'll repeat a few times in this, in this conversation, which has to do with co-creation, which is putting the content of the community you want to reach at the service of a brand, at the service of a framework that will enrich the experience and enable that community to achieve a greater purpose. And I think that's exactly what we did in that moment to the point that we got a bit of an audience in AdAge. You know, we got a really nice article that you brought, it, brought them in. But I think most importantly, I've never seen people cry in a, in a forum like this. We usually discuss mm -hmm. a lot of stuff around marketing, yep. sustainability, ROI, whatever. People were crying in the room. Starting with me, I was in, in front of this lady who's a graphic designer, which I picked on purpose because I work a lot with graphic designers. And when she broke out with her story, I just couldn't move on. I, I didn't know what to say. And I was like, let me help you and let me be a framework that you can tap into to get your voice heard in front of all of these people and beyond. And I think that's, that was very powerful. 
Yeah. Pepe, I should I should interrupt you there just to say that, you know, this was a class of about 55 senior marketing leaders from companies all over the world, right? Representing all sectors. And so they're decision makers, right? They're putting budgets to work. And we had asked Jose and his team, Pepe and his team from HP to present what's going on in in uh, new marketing techniques, innovative marketing techniques, a personalization, co-creation, how do they leverage HP's technology to make a difference in businesses, which is really your core business. And what you and your team did is you basically came into the room and for each person in that room, you had a personalized printed yeah. gift, which had the story of a Ukraine creative who is who is talented and who is looking for work. And so everyone got a connection in that room with someone who that might be able to help them at their company. And then you brought in three of those creative people to tell their stories in person, in can to this team. So it was so creative. It was so emotional. It was so important. So I just want to give people the background for what happened in that room. And uh, I just think it was a, it demonstrated HP's customization technology, <laughs> but but that was an enabler for an experience to happen that was very moving. Which is one of the main reasons why I chose to work for HP five years ago, which is I saw in this technology an opportunity to drive marketing with purpose. You know, I did a lot of marketing in my career beforehand for many, many years. But when I saw this and I learned about the technology, I said, we have to do something good with it more than just personalization for the sake of personalization. And you're exactly right, you know, creating these beautiful boxes, you know, with a sunflower seed inside of them, representing the sunflower seeds that Ukrainian soldiers are using in the war so that when they either get captured or they die, they tell the Russian soldiers, a sunflower will grow exactly in this place to remind you that this is Ukrainian soil that we're standing in. I read that. And it just touched me to a level that I want to continue to make this big, scalable. Because this, to be honest, Jim, as great as it was, is just the tip of the iceberg. It was mm -hmm. 55 people. That's it. And now I've been trying to work with some organizations like the Ukrainian Design Institute to scale this to 5,000 Ukrainians that are scattered across the globe that have talent, that have creative talent. And hopefully we can put this in front of your audience, your network, my network, and other people's networks, so that we just connect them and create a marketplace of talent, a, a marketplace of decision makers, we just build a bridge between the two and make some more magic out of this. So I want you to speak a bit more about how that idea was born. I mean, you re referenced it in your opening comments, but here I ask you to come in and make a presentation in this class, and you were also a participant in the class. And... I had no idea what was coming, and the class didn't either. And it overwhelmed people in the class. They were very moved by it, they, and they wanted to find a way to help these people find work. I mean, we're all in the business of ideas and creativity, right? That's the whole theme of the Cannes Festival. Take us back to the beginning. What was the catalyst? How did this thing happen? I have to go to experience. When you have year after year after year of crafting brand stories, doing brand strategy, designing communication strategies for products that we have advertised over the years, like you and I being in marketing beforehand. And then combining that with the right technology, with the right moment, the right context that is going on, 
it just kind of pops in there, you know, like this shower moment that you have when you wake up and you go mm -hmm. in the shower and you start just thinking about your day. It just suddenly pops in there and you say, I need to do this. And I have the people, the network, the event, the location to activate something that will make a difference socially. And maybe it's just the beginning of the journey, not, not the journey itself, but just the beginning to a much higher purpose. And what I started thinking is with our team, we need to walk the talk not by showing case studies of what we do at HP with digital printing. We need to walk the talk with something real, something tangible that the group can be part of and co-create stories with us together for a much greater purpose. So that conversation in its own kind of became the catalyst in my team. And I think the secret ingredient is not rocket science. It's just years of experience where you start bringing different elements of your experiences on branding, on strategy, on storytelling, on purpose, on this and that. And the technology, of course, is an enabler of all of this. And it just happens, you know, it just happens. And I think that is the beauty of, of the job that I currently have, which I feel privileged to have in a way, because this is a job that found me. I didn't find this job, to be honest. And things happen for a reason. I'm a strong believer that in the end, You and I met because there's a reason for you and I to meet. You and I are talking in this podcast because there's a reason for that. But the Ukrainians also need help. And there's a reason that we're channeling our energy to help them out in so many different ways. I know you're doing a lot yourself and with your team for, for finding work for these thousands and thousands of Ukrainian creatives. Any, anything coming out of that classroom experience that, that's inspiring? I'll tell you a beautiful story. I cannot name the company at the moment because the mm -hmm. project is still not out there. It will go out next year and we're working with it uh, right now. Uh, I'll say it's a very important brand of shampoos in Germany. But we're beginning to put hand signals into the stickers of shampoos, on the labels of shampoos, to teach people a hand language so that when you're in front of a of a how can I say this elegantly, a disabled person that cannot either hear or talk, you learn a few words, a few sentences while you're taking a bath and having that shower moment. So this company came to us with this brief because of Can Lions. We met the person from this company there. That person saw the story of the Ukrainians and they said, we have to do something with you for our own products so that we can impact our community in that way. So this is a big problem in Germany where we're working on at the moment. And what we're doing is co-creating, co-creating these signals that are the most common signals that you need to know if you go to the supermarket and you find a person with this disability, how to connect with them, how to help them pay, you know, move their food from A to B, whatever they need to do. And when I saw the brief, the other thing that we did is let me bring Alina Borisova, who's a graphic designer who spoke there with me when I was on stage at the CMO Accelerator as the graphic designer of this activity. So we already did a workshop with them. She was oh, wow. part of the workshop. We hired her. We used her as part of the creative team enabling these solutions. And this will hit the market next year at some point. And once it does, you'll be the first to know, believe me. Fantastic, Pepe. Great story. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. 
because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Pepe, I want to shift into your career path now for a few moments. You've been at HP for about five years. And before that, your resume is loaded with blue chip (laughs) consumer goods experiences. Grupo Bimbo, Kraft Heinz, Nestle, Mondelez. And you were in these companies almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I want you to speak a little bit about that transition from 20 years of fabulous assignments and experiences at these blue chip consumer companies. And then- you go to this tech giant in a B2B capacity. How did you manage that? Why did you do it? So please take us back there and describe that transition. First of all, I'm not going to lie. It was scary as hell. Scary as hell. Because I really didn't know what I, what I was getting myself into. The only thing that I trust, trusted was HP as a brand. I knew it was a solid company. Very good performance over the last few years. Very well managed. That's it. But culturally, you know, different dynamic, different industry from FMCG to technology, different uh, model, which is B2C, B2B, which is what I'm doing Mm -hmm. now. So changing all across and changing to different country also. So I've had the chance to have previous experiences of moving from Mexico to the U.S. for a couple of years when I worked for Kraft. I was there, you know, managing their chocolate business in Latin America based out of Miami for a couple of years. And I learned there to be resilient and to really stand in the face of resilience. Because when you move from one country, whatever the country is, to a multi-market job, culture plays a big factor into things. And I didn't understand that early on. I thought that things were going to go smoothly as they went in, in Mexico, where I come from. And when you elevate yourself across multiple markets, you start seeing different things. And especially what I learned is the competitive spirit of people raises up a notch. It's not the same Mm -hmm. when you're just playing in your own market. You go out of your comfort zone. And I remember vividly one of my first phone calls with my boss there, the, the v, actually the VP of marketing for Kraft Latin America, an American uh, who's a very dear friend of mine. He told me, he put mute on the speaker, on the call. And we had people from all Latin America in the call. And he was about to assign the next big innovation project to a marketing team in one of those countries that really wanted to make it big go out with the first pilot and then eventually scale through the region. And when he puts the speaker on and he says the summary of the project, the Argentines, the Brazilians, the Venezuelans, all were fighting for the leadership of the project. And my colleagues from my country, silent. And and he pointed the finger at me and he said, This is what you need to bring back to this company in your country whenever you finish this experience, which is build up the competitive spirit of people, because that's a lesson you need to learn that will get you far away in your career. So when I come back to your question, that single experience in a single conference call with a lot of people in it changed, I can tell you, my life, because it really opened my eyes to be who I am today. And this is exactly what allowed me to walk into HP 
jumping out of Nestle Craft Mondelez from Switzerland, where I was based at the time into Barcelona, where I'm now, and just go and play to my strengths. I think the, the other thing that I learned over the years is you need to, to really learn what you're good at and master that. Rather than focus on your weaknesses, I tried that in the past and it just doesn't work. You cannot fix, I wouldn't say what it's broken, but what is not your strength. And if you really do the self-analysis of what you're good at, and you play that back with people around you by having meetings and calls and chats to say, hey, where can I get better and what am I good at? That's what I took head on. And then I came to HP and I said, I'm just going to be myself and I'm going to voice exactly what I think should be done. And that has empowered me to have a significant impact in this company for, for the past five years. What are you told that you are really good at, Pepe? And do you agree with that? So there's, there are a combination of factors. First of all, strategy. I've been always really great at crafting brand strategy by becoming a good historian. When you go into the heritage of a brand and you really understand where the brand comes from, why it was invented, why it is making a difference in people's lives in a day-to-day basis, if you just understand that, you don't need to read a hundred, you know, 50 page documents on business reports, quarterly re- reviews and so on and so forth. You just need to go there and craft something as a strategy that is relevant in context, in time and in culture. So one of my, my key traits that I hear, you know, people play back with me is exactly that, you know, like I bring back from the past the things that have been forgotten a lot of brands and through time, people realize that the answer for having a better performing brand in the future is in the past. And if you do that, you will win. No, I love that. And there, there's a guy named Joey Ryman who had a consultancy that he sold to BCG. He used to say the fruit is in the roots. Uh-huh. I couldn't agree more. And I think, and every time I've changed assignments at PNG, I did that. I went back to the archives. I talked to the team. I talked to people who had worked on the brand years ago. And I kind of charted the brand's history. When were the high points, the low points? And what was it about the low points? What was it about the high points? It's so rich. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, so th- that's the first thing. And, and then the second thing is empathy. I really know how to empathize with people so that I get the best out of them. Something I did wrong at the beginning of my career, and that's one of my opportunity areas, is learn to listen to what people have to say and pay attention because you might be behaving as a good listener in front of someone, but it doesn't mean you're paying attention. And that's a very important and subtle difference on how you talk and you have a conversation to engage with the other person in the room, the other group in the room. So empathy, I think is something I've mastered because I think it's part of my personality and you saw me speak in your event. And I think that's where you create connections with people. But you also need to be an expert on what you're talking about. Knowing your stuff in combination with being an active listener, being empathetic, but most importantly, paying attention has enabled me to gain trust from people around me in a boardroom or just with my wife and my kids and get stuff done, you know, and get them motivated to do stuff together. And I think that has been one of my key traits through life. And on the other side, you said we also need to, I mean, we should play to our strengths and you have the confidence to do that. But 
we also are always working on something, right? Mm -hmm. To improve as a leader, to improve as a human being. So what are you working on? This is a concept I wanted to actually chat about today, which is creative courage. Creative courage is something that people talk about, uh, but it's so difficult to master, especially when you're in a boardroom with decision makers that don't have time for chit chat and you just need to get stuff done and do business. You need to find your moment to say the right thing at the right time to influence. And it has been a challenge throughout my career. I won't lie. You know, there have been a lot of meetings where I know that I could have said something different or better or in a different moment. And I maybe could have gotten away with it to make an impact. And out of those learnings, I've had meetings later in my career, especially at Mondelez in, in Switzerland, where I was the marketing director for the chewing gum business for Mondelez across mm -hmm. Europe, you know, brands like Trident. And in the case of Northern Europe, we had a brand called Steamoral. And the chewing gum business had been declining, has been declining for decades. People are chewing less gum. It's just not sexy any longer because most brands have become highly functional. You know what you get of chewing gum? Fresh breath. That's it. And what I discovered then was that we need to, we have to change that brand and turn it into a lifestyle brand. What do I mean by that? Giving people confidence to speak their mind. That was the most important thing that I learned about the history of the brand because it started on confidence and, you know, through the years, everyone forgot about it. I brought that back to the table. And when I was in front, you know, our global team and our leadership team, I told them, guys, this brand has to be built around confidence because people need something out of chewing gum that is not fresh breath, that makes a positive impact in their daily life. So we created a beautiful campaign called There to Open Your Mouth, where we were challenging people to say the things that really matter, you know, like standing up for something and stuff like that. And uh, suddenly, after a couple of years, the brand started growing again. And it became the only, and listen to this data point, the only brand in the world that was actually growing, where everybody was declining, the category was declining across the board. This was the only brand who achieved growth because people relate to things that have a social impact in their daily lives, like confidence. You know, it's a simple concept, but you just need a brand to enable that and tell a story around opening your mouth. When you go back to what you were asking, creative courage, that's the, the key. I would say it was a key turning point in my career where I really learned to master empathy, you know, leadership, active listening with creative courage to say the right thing in the right moment and get people to buy into it. And then we created this, this, this beautiful campaign that, uh, you know, still valid very much so today, if you, if you look at adverts from this brand in, in Northern Europe. So it was fun, challenging, but fun. So Pepe, how do you elicit or enable or uh, reward creative courage in your organization and with your team? I get it's something that you work on. You're very deliberate about it now. Uh, it's a big idea. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it's a tough one in organizations. People often play to not lose versus play to win. They don't want to make a mistake because they'll fall off the career path. So how do you be sure people understand that this is something you value, it's something that you coach, and it's something that you want to be a part of the way you do business? 
I think there are two factors. One is how you manage this up to your leadership team and how you manage this down to your to your employees in general, to your team. So I have a team that is scattered across the globe. I took a program at Stanford for a couple of years on innovation and leadership, which was really, really useful in my career. And that's where I learned in depth this concept of psychological safety. And I think very few companies, especially in corporate America, as I like to say, have the ability to create psychological safety. Once you create that, you are able to achieve anything with your team because they will truly speak up their minds to achieve a greater purpose, you know, reach a business objective, have creative courage to say the right things at the right time, even if you don't like what you're hearing, you know, because that can also happen. But mm -hmm. people feel safe. If you create that, um, you will win anywhere, not only in marketing. It's a powerful concept. I've seen Google write a lot about that concept. I know they've done a lot of research in that concept. It's something they try to bring to life in their teams. Uh, but I think, again, it's a simple concept. You know, you talked about confidence, psychological safety. If you create that in your team, you know, they feel like they ha you have their back. Uh -huh. And that and, and anything's okay to talk about, any ideas okay to talk about. So it's a very, very powerful thought. Let's shift to your current job, and, and I think you have a very unusual job title. Maybe it's the, it's the only one I've ever heard that is phrased like this. You are the Global Head of Brands and Sustainability Innovation. Mm -hmm. And tell us how that represents what you do day in and day out in your job. So our remit is basically to increase digital print technology adoption across the globe because of two factors, better marketing and sustainability climate change, mm -hmm. mainly. So when I started the journey five years ago, I was mainly focused around better marketing through personalization and co-creation because it's just a better way to tell stories. And the metrics are there and we know it actually doubles the, brand, the brand's ROI when they co-create stories with their, with their consumers. So having known that, um, one of the things I did coming to HP was I built a, a big piece of consumer research because in a tech company, one of the biggest difference that I had from the FMCG world is consumer insights are not very human. They're just technical or functional. So we talked to a social media listening agency and I started analyzing 50, close to 50 million conversations on social media across the globe to first become a subject matter expert on personalization, why people want it, why people interact with physically personalized stuff, what are the drivers behind it? And I created a framework. I created a framework at HP that we call the personalization pinwheel, which basically is like a neat state model on personalization. And there are six emotional drivers attached to it, and that enables our partners, the brands and agencies to create stories that allow them to do brands innovation, which is my title. So that was the first part of the journey. But very quickly, I saw also that if we don't become experts on sustainability at the same time, we're just not going to win the game. So I became a partner of a very important organization that I've been partnering with for three years called Sustainable Brands. And as part of that partnership with her founder, I told her similar things that I would say to you now. We have a mandate to remove a significant amount of packaging waste and CO2 emissions out of the planet through packaging. Packaging is, in the end, one of the main offenders in our planet. 
And I also understood that we have to translate our value proposition into something that brands can benefit from, which is CO2 emissions reduction when printing. So imagine you're still at PNG, you know, I don't know if you know the number of how many tons of packaging PNG prints in any given year, but it's hundreds of thousands, probably. Mm -hmm. Imagine you just could take out 30% of pack waste out of the supply chain like that, just because you're printing digitally and you remove minimum order quantities. And the second part is because we did a life cycle assessment study on this, you can reduce up to 80% of CO2 emissions when printing every single bottle of head and shoulders, Pantene, you name it. When you start extrapolating those numbers globally, we can potentially remove close to 50 million tons of packaging from the planet and close to 50 billion tons of CO2 emissions from the planet. It's significant. Once I understood that, I had to come back to my job title. And when people read it, I had to say, well, what do I do? Brands and sustainability innovation. We'll get into the details later, but at least it, it explains a little bit how we want to focus on people that do marketing and do sustainability as not a two-headed horse, as a package that comes together. And, and one of the things where I'm very active today, which is this is beyond HP and this is just me being me, I'm part of one of the CMO growth councils that was formed at Can Lions on sustainability. So I'm working there directly with CMOs on how to blend the marketing agenda and the sustainability agenda into a single agenda, because it's the same agenda. If you want to build your brand, you have to be sustainable by design. It's, it's as simple as that. While you need to achieve a higher purpose with consumers you're trying to reach. Now, just now, we just launched this a document with, with BCG, the ANA, with Adweek and Sustainable Brands. All together, we have been working on this for three months called The Future is Mainstream Green, which is a new growth strategy that teaches marketers to play how to play on sustainability because it hasn't been really clear on how you tell stories on sustainability. Mm -hmm. We basically want to move them away from making sustainable claims to driving sustainable choices of the consumers they want to influence. And that's the big shift that we're looking to achieve through this journey that we're in. So, you know, long story, but in the end, you know, sustainability has to be part of what you do as a mindset. Now, is that report available now? Can we put a link in our show notes? Absolutely. I just published it last week on my LinkedIn feed. So should every CMO have sustainability in their job title? I think it should have sustainability, first of all, in their mindset, and second, in their mm -hmm. job title. I think one of the things that was brought to us in that growth council was, um, I will not mention names, but uh, there's a very influential CMO there who said that marketers need to stop thinking only about marketing. We need to think as an ecosystem all together. And this leadership that you want to bring as a marketer has to cut across into other functions in the company, finance, supply chain, procurement, all of these maybe non-sexy functions that you have when you do marketing only have to be part of that ecosystem for you to, to bake it into a mindset of how you do things. It's, it's not necessarily the what or the title, but it's the how you do it, you know, and how you do it, you have to be sustainable by design. That's what I always tell people. And you need to regenerate the community around you. If there's one thing I've learned about being a partner of sustainable brands is that where it's called regeneration. 
that's a key mindset we need to we're bringing into this document. Pepe, when I observed you this summer uh, in Cannes at the CMO Accelerator and other things we did together, yeah, I walked away saying this guy really loves his work. <laughs> he really, really loves his work, and now this podcast is certainly affirming that. So I'd like you to talk about. Why is that? You've been at HP five years. Maybe you were like this at all the companies you worked at, but there seems to be something going on here that is pretty special. Now, I know it's you're, you, you believe in purpose a lot. You believe in impacting people, impacting the planet. Maybe that's the simple answer. But what is it about this time in your life, this company, this space you are in that has you so jazzed? You know what? Yes, it's simple in a way because, of course, I have a good heart and I want to make a positive difference in the world. In the end, the day that I die, I want my tombstone to say, not even my name, it's co-creation at heart. Because when you co-create, you'll get people involved into what you're doing. That's one side. But in reality, I'm competitive as well. And when I told you the story of this conference call, in Miami, listening to people fighting over the leadership of a project, I said to myself, I want to represent Mexico proudly wherever I go. If it's to the US, to Switzerland, to Spain, where I'm today, I just want to be a good ambassador of my country. And when people see Mexico, they see me as a good competitor that is out there to make a positive difference in the world around him. So. That drives my internal yeah. engine, and I really, I really want to drive that until the day that I die, which I hope I can never retire. You know, I think the biggest gift in life that you get is if you can do work until the day that you die, you've been gifted for all of your life. You know, a lot of people think of retirement like, oh, finally, I'm going to stop working and, you know, sit on a yacht, you know, for a couple of years and then do whatever. But if you can continue to work something in things that you love, that's the greatest gift of all, I think. And I hope I can keep doing this with whomever wants to employ me today or in the future or myself. You never know. I think you're fine. Pepe. <laughs> I think you're fine. But I believe that too. Just keep, if you're doing what you love, why stop? It keeps you learning, keeps you curious. Absolutely. For, for your audience, I, I would really like to, to say this, you know, um, do things with passion authentically and everything else just happens, you know, like, this conversation we're having, I got an invitation to become a marketing teacher. Of all things, you know, I maybe was expecting to teach marketing when I reached 60 or, or beyond, but no, it came now. I'm 45 and I'm starting that journey by invitation in one of the top marketing schools in the world, which is ESADE here in Barcelona. And it's a very interesting journey because now for the first time in my life, I have this ability to impact people when they're just beginning to form their thoughts on what better marketing actually is before they get influenced by a company, before they go out there and work and really test things out. It's a new challenge for me, but in the end, it comes out of the same thing. You know, if you just do things with passion, other people notice, other people notice and they just, you know, raise their hand and say, Hey, Pepe, I want you to be part of this. I want you to be part of that. And I think, it's, it's contagious. You, you create this contagious energy around you when you do things with passion. So what are you learning from the students? And what are you teaching them? What's the, what's the course? So the Esada University just launched a new program, which is quite new, uh, but transformational, which is called Business Innovation and Transformational Leadership Applied to Social Impact. 
So oh. when they saw what I did at Cannes, they said, we have to have you as one of our teachers. So I'm not a permanent teacher there. I only go there by invitation, but who knows later I might become one. Um, I'm teaching second and third year students how to apply marketing techniques to a achieve a much greater social impact in anything they do, a startup, corporate job, whatever you can think of. So the stories that we have to share with them, like this one from Can Lions mm -hmm. is one of them, but many stories that I do with the brands that I worked for in the past uh, are part of the content that I will be discussing live to make them think. So whenever they touch a PNG and so on, they already are programmed in a way to, to do better marketing, which I hope is the case. No, oh, I love that. So what's the single biggest lesson you learned from the students so far? Um, one of the biggest things I've learned is not everything has to be pretty. Yeah. I focus a lot on details and I want everything to be perfect. And one of them told me, you know what? If you was just do your presentation on a Word document and just write everything up without the visuals, I would fall in love in the story equally because they saw I put a lot of effort in influencing them on every angle, content wise, visually and all. And one of them said, you know what, Pepe, you don't need even a PowerPoint. Just talk, just talk and just let go. And uh, it kind of opened my eyes because I've been doing this for quite a while and no single adult has ever told me that. And when this guy stepped into me and he just shook my hand and said, thank you for, for the class you just gave us. And he said that you just take these things, you know, I don't know, it just, it just touches you in, in a different way. And it, it kind of really taught me a lesson to be less of a perfectionist, which mm -hmm. I am. And that's one of my areas of growth, you know, where I can get better. It's a big lesson. Yeah. Now, listen, I don't, I, we can't leave this podcast without talking about, we've already talked about co-creation and personalization. These are your big drivers, right? Yeah. This, this to you is what makes for great marketing, great brand building, great impact. So I'd like you to just share a story, one that you're particularly proud of that combines this co-creation concept and this personalization concept. So a story that our listeners who would like to co-create themselves like to make more, like to make things more personalized for their customers or clients. Let's tell us a story where what you find particularly illuminating in bringing these concepts to life. What if I told you, Jim, that I would give you as a Christmas gift a jar of coffee? You would have like what, Pepe? Are you nuts? Bring me wine, bring me chocolates, even flowers, or a Christmas jumper. But coffee, really, as a Christmas gift? So this story starts like this. We were working with Nestle and Nescafe a few years ago uh, on co-creation and how this could be part of their storytelling to become a leading brand in Mexico through this technique. And working with their team, we stumbled into this great idea that Mexicans love New Year's resolutions. We just love them. We just want to become a better version of ourselves when the new year comes in. So out of that idea, we said, what if we just go to social media and we ask people, what are their resolutions? Because if you co-create, it's not the creative agency. And sorry, agencies out there, if you're listening, it's not the creative agency putting the concepts of which resolutions you should be putting on the jars of Nescafe. The important ones are the ones that consumers care about. So you need to go to them. They need to tell you what are the things they want to get better at. 
And you just need to channel that through your own packaging. So what happened with Nescafe was this New Year's resolution concept was born. And we created this hashtag called Begin2. And uh, basically, we printed more than 300 different resolutions on the labels of the jars so that when you bumped into them during Christmas, first of all, the brand got more more, uh, facings on the shelf because retailers knew that the more resolutions they could advertise, the more people would take them. Second of all, the coffee jars started becoming an excellent Christmas gift because let's say, Jim, that, you know, I'm going to ask a question. How do you want to become a better person next year? I want to spend more time with my family and I want to continue to improve my physical and mental health. Okay. So let's say I'm walking through the supermarket and you're my friend. I'm going to your Christmas dinner and I suddenly see one of these jars of Nescafe and it says, begin to spend quality family time. I go, that's Jim. That's not me. That's Jim. I grab it, and the next time I go to your place, I'll go and show up on the doorbell, on the doorbell, and show this Nescafe jar, and you're gonna remember it. the The important piece here is not just another chocolate, just another wine. It's coffee with a message that when you start your day as of January first in the cupboard in your kitchen, and you grab this jar, you're gonna think of Pepe, and you're gonna say, "Pepe cares about me. He's my friend." That's what has transformed a simple coffee jar into a gift, a Christmas gift that speaks to generations. And a testament to that is that Nescafe has repeated the campaign five years in a row with positive growth every single year, earning social media, and it expanded into a second campaign uh, that they've done now on supply chain transparency, which is a different topic, but it all started with New Year's resolutions. If we go back to Steamroll and the chewing gum story, what we were giving them? Confidence. What are you giving people with a New Year resolution? A reminder, a visual reminder for January to do that, to become that person that you want to become. And I think these type of stories happen all the time when you really have this mindset of co-creation. And I think the sky's the limit, you know? I hope that when I retire or I don't, I just have this consultancy that teaches brands to co-create. And with that, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. And co-creation with consumers, with partners, with maybe non-traditional partners, it's all around. Absolutely. And, and, we're, and obviously, it's a great example of diversity in terms of who you work with, who you listen to, who you spend time with. Uh, so it, it's a wonderful lesson all, and something that, frankly, any brand can do. It's just a mindset. Right. It's a mindset. Yeah. It's not It's not rocket science. You know, it's not something new, especially coming out of the pandemic, Jim. I think for me, one of the beautiful things about co-creation is that people more than ever need to have a sense of belonging. It's a human need. It's one of those basic, you know, Maslow pyramid human needs. And when you co-create... Regardless of what you're co-creating on, you're automatically giving people around you, partners or the community of a brand, that sense of belonging. And that is so powerful. Now, you have a really busy job. It's a global job. Yeah. You also have time for lots and lots of industry activity. You're, you're on the ANA, Global CMO Growth Council. You work with the Design and Art Direction Association on awards and on trends. You teach, as you just talked about. You remain active in helping Ukraine designers mm-hmm. and creatives. 
So I'd like you to share your learning with our listeners about how you carve out the energy and time for this and how it helps you be a better leader. I I didn't expect this question to happen, but actually I've been reading this book as of late, which a friend of mine recommended me, and I recommend every single person to read, which is The 4-Hour Workweek. The 4-Hour work Workweek. From <laughs> okay. Timothy Ferris. It's very old. It, it was written in the second edition it's from 2009, but the concepts that he has in that book apply to this day and age more than ever. So it has allowed me to carve out time because I truly prioritize more than ever in my life the things that matter versus the things that really don't matter. And that enables me to do all of these things that you mentioned. So read the book. <laughs> I highly recommend it, to be honest, because it really changes your mindset on how to yeah. utilize time. It's that simple, right? Exactly. I want to shift to the creative brief, Pepe. And the first question is, what's the one person in your life who has made the biggest impact on you? Two of them. Walt Disney, because I grew up going to Disney World with my mom and dad many times. And it really baked into my DNA. If you can dream it, you can do it. And the second is not a person, it's a brand and it's Nike, which is just do it. So for me, the best combination is if Walt Disney meets Nike, if you can dream it, you can do it, then just do it and get on with it. And those two companies have made me who I am today. Who has been the one mentor in your career that has had an outsized impact on you? I have to mention his name, and I know he will be fine with it. David Como. David Como used to be our VP of marketing for Kraft Foods in Latin America for many years. He's the guy who brought me to Miami. He's the guy who also brought me into, into Switzerland because I actually started at Kraft, went to Nestle when I was back in Mexico. And he brought me back to Kraft in Switzerland before Kraft became Mondelez. Hmm. He has been the single person in my life that has shown me to stand up for what I believe in, no matter who the audience is, say the right things at the right moment, even if it makes people uncomfortable. And I am who I am today in my career because of him. So if there's one person I need to thank for is, is David. He's, he's, he's just great. What is the one initiative or campaign in your career that you are most proud of? Is it the Nescafe one we just talked about? No, we haven't spoken about this one. Um, Blue Toblerone, as crazy as that sounds, because it was my first project in Switzerland. When I moved from, imagine moving from Mexico City to Zurich. It's day and night. You know, one of the most chaotic, polluted, insecure cities in the world. <laughs> into Zurich, which is pristine, perfect. Everything yeah. works. You know, there's no pollution, no insecurity whatsoever, no crime. And you go there into a very hostile environment because Europeans are not easy to work with. And, and, and you know this, they're very, they, they are built into their own way of thinking and changing that mm -hmm. is hard. So my first project was to launch an, an innovation on Toblerone globally that was aligned with current trends and future trends. And we discovered the beautiful world of salt. So we had decided to add a, a touch of salt to Toblerone and make it blue. And our CMO back then came with an email saying, are you guys crazy? What's next? You know, green Milka 
Black Cadbury and so on and so forth. He was right in a way. You know, the book says you need to build on your distinctive assets and and make them as, as big as possible. But what we said is, well, we have other flavors in our range that are not the yellow Toblerone, the chamois color, as we called it. They're just a signifier of the flavor. So we did it. We did it blue. We went with courage. We stood up in front of him and said, we're going to do it this way. And if our ass is on the line, then so be it. But this is the right thing to do because people will get the hint of salt when they see this color in the chocolate. And I have to say, it was my first project in 2010. And in 2022, if you go through the duty-free and you see a blue Toblerone, you remember me. (laughs) So I feel proud because it has withstood the test of time 12 years later. It's work. 12 years later. Creative courage, right? Exactly. 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 So what is one brand you really admire right now? I would have to say that the best one is still Nike for me. It hasn't changed because they're consistent. What I love about Nike is they don't move away from consistency. And that's something I love about brands. You know, I... I worked with a lot of problematic brands in the past where they are like a pinball machine and they really don't know where to go. Nike has always understood how to be a cultural change agent, not a sports brand, but a cultural change agent. So when you see the stuff they did with Colin Kaepernick from the NFL, that's when you see brands that get it and they really want to make a positive impact in culture. And that's something I truly and deeply respect. And I always try to emulate also in my own way of thinking. I think I know the answer to this next question, but I ask every guest, what is the one brand you remember making an impact on you as a young boy growing up in Mexico City? The first brand, the first (laughs) one brand you remember making an impact on you. For any Mexican listening to this, I have to apologize. It's an American brand called Huidis from General Mills. And you know why? (laughs) Huidis. You know why? It's related to Nike. <laughs> in a way, because they had Michael Jordan in the cover of the yeah. box. And I was a huge fan of Michael Jordan growing up. I'm not a basketball fan, but I was a basketball fan when he was playing the game. Because his leadership, his talent, everything he did, everything he touched just became perfect. And when I was growing up, I was, I was actually a football and a tennis player. But for me, he was the guy to look up to. And when I saw him on that box, I was always telling my mom, when you see that box in the supermarket, that's the only brand and the only cereal I want to eat because that's the guy I want to be when I grow up. I thought you would say Nike. You surprised me and said Wheaties, but I get it. He actually advertised Nike shoes. You know, that's how it got started. Exactly. (laughs) All right, Pepe, last question. What's the one question you have for me as we wrap up this wonderful, wide-ranging discussion? What is the one thing that you tell marketers in this day and age to do different? Do I only have one thing? No, it could be two or three, but I love to hear from you. What is the one or two or three things? I mean, the first one is, is you already went here, be yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, be comfortable with yourself, be yourself, bring your whole self to work. Don't try to be someone else. You're better as yourself than you are trying to Mm -hmm. be someone else. So be self-aware, be comfortable with yourself and leverage your strengths. That's the first one. And that's an important one. Second one, I say, you know, find the purpose in your brand and find your purpose and make sure they're harmonious 
and that you bring your purpose and your brand's purpose to life in all you do mm-hmm. every day. And the last one, we talked a lot about this in Can. remain a curious person because curiosity is related to creativity and curiosity is related to problem solving. Curiosity is related to empathy. So be yourself, be curious, be purposeful, and then you will have a wonderful career. So true. So true. Next time I get an interview, I'll remind myself to say that word because it's so important. You're so right. I love that. Pepe, Jose, thank you. Thank you so much. We went to a lot of places in this discussion and it was all wonderful. So thank you again for what you did in Cannes and what you do day in and day out for for your, your team, for the industry at large, and frankly, for the world at large. So thank you, Pepe. No, absolutely. And, and I would say thank you, Jim, for helping me play tennis with better players, which is what I learned <laughs> at the accelerator when I met you. You know, it, it really stuck with me. And I, I need to force myself to play tennis with better players because that's the only way to grow. That was my conversation with Pepe. Three lessons from this one for your business brand and life. And the first one, it's a fundamental one. Be a historian on every brand you work on. Pepe talked about the power of looking at the history of a brand, talking to people who worked on the brand, understanding when the brand has made its biggest impact. And so often the answers to a brand's go-to-market plans, to its equity, to its purpose, or its history. Second lesson, psychological safety creative courage as two fundamentals in a powerful culture on a team or in a company. Pepe talked about what he learned at Stanford about creating a culture of psychological safety and how that leads to creative courage in his team and in how they bring the brand to life. Third takeaway, co-creation as a mentality. This is a passion of Pepe's. He feels like when you have a co-creation mentality with the partners you work with, with your customers, with your clients, You create marketing that has an impact, helps people out, is of service, and grows a brand. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.